politics means that people did it, people do it. Understand that when in San Francisco and other places that were never really there. I bet this ocean thinks it's an ocean, but it's not. It's a sixth emission street. I don't know who's king. That was an excerpt from The Course of Meal, a poem by Tongo Eisen Martin. I'm your host, Jeff Hunt. Welcome to Storied San Francisco, a weekly podcast where San Franciscans from all walks of life share their stories, and you get to know your neighbors. In this episode, Tongo picks up where he left off in part one, describing the San Francisco he returned to after a few years in New York City. He goes on to talk about a job he had teaching imprisoned youth and how it led to disillusionment despite his love of teaching and kids. He left the city again briefly for Jackson, Mississippi, where he started to dabble in poetry. Upon his return, he started reading his poems in front of folks, and he soon got noticed. Tongo ends this podcast with a full reading of The Course of Meal. Here's Tongo. And it's always been like kind of a more intellectual culture in the Bay Area, you know. Maybe, you know, like this is what made, you know, Black Panthers possible. This is what made the Summer of Love possible. Like there's always something, um, though there's not the same kind of Jurassic activity um, or the same scale of venue. You know, you don't Mm -hmm. have a, you know, you don't have a, um, you know, you don't have a Carnegie Hall or equivalent. But... You know, it's still just kind of like the quality of the everyday conversation was always, you know, it, it was a little bit more, actually a little bit more stimulating I found in other places I've been. So like when I got to New York, I didn't feel like slow. Right. I, I didn't feel like anything was going on faster than, than what I was, uh, you know, that, that than what I was capable of. Mm-hmm. But I did kind of just like, you know, I missed almost like the thesis statement of the Bay Area, this thesis statement of San Francisco that no, you know, we 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 can exist on the other end of the spectrum from like, you know, kind of white supremacist ideals of what a family is supposed to look like, what a, you know, what an, what your ambition is supposed to look like, what a culture is supposed to look like, mm-hmm. you know. And that the people really, you know, the people really run things, you know, and the people's imagination can actually be codified and actually institutionalized, you know, like mm-hmm. I remember going to Meme Troop, you know, going to the Meme Troop plays, you know, the, you know, um, my godmother was uh, is, is one of the, um, is, a, is a visual artist and did a few of the murals around, you know, around, around the city, around nice. the midst, like, I remember helping her paint. Oh shit! You know, uh, um, a, a mural. Um, so you know, yeah, and, and I and I so, so that spirit is something I always you know loved returning to. But yeah, so what yeah, you back came back to, to was a corporate reimagining of <laughs> that spirit, you know, um, and, and so it, which which was kind of like an interesting kind of a, an interesting insight in that it's not at, so so you you think it's it's a place that attracts talent 
And it's this talent that makes a play strong, but it's actually the people, man. Mm-hmm. So when the base is gone, then then all of these scenes, all of these scenes suffer. It's really the people that make that make the renaissance. It's the audience that makes the renaissance, and all these kind of like in the the entire um, you know kind of social ecosystems that artists you know develop in that that enhance in, in the craft and 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 create you know innovations and you know craft only gets modernized within a pot with the people in it. So seeing the people gone is really you know this kind of like this undertow this perpetual undertow pulling, really just pulling, pulling us down into this nothingness, you know what I mean? Right. And I I don't mean the nothingness from which form, you know, (laughs) right. I mean the nothingness from the never ending story, man, that was, you know, they had it, they had a tray you on the run. I, I think, you know, I think that, that the thing is that, that, you know, money always comes or, people with money, the, the ruling class, always come with too many deep contradictions for, for, for anything to ever really be stable, including their hegemony. Right. So it's their always, own system is unstable. Right, right. And, and constantly sowing the seeds of, uh, of its own destruction. Mm-hmm. So, so in that sense, that, that you know, it, it's, it's only a matter of time. It's just the suffering that happens along the way for them to maintain that power and control. And, and, and this especially kind of extroverted cultural dominance. See, see, before, I mean, we've had corporate employees since the, since the beginning, you know, mm-hmm. of, of, our, of, of our sentient understanding of things, but they were more like in the shadows, mm-hmm. you know? They were, they had their little, you know, they, they were in their offices and then of course they had their little playgrounds, you know, but <laughs> right. the streets really belong to the people. Now you have this like this almost a very ostentatious ruling class that is declared that the city is going to be their corporate campus. Right. Right. But Too many examples it, to, to list of that. In order to pull that off, then we got, you know, then all these people got to be homeless. We got all these 10 cities. We still have these extrajudicial, you know, we got Mario Wood. Really, as a part of this ethnic cleansing uh, effort against mm-hmm. against black and, and brown people here. Um, so, it's, so, so it's not like, oh, well, let's just sit up and wait for them to, to, to fall off of their wall. Um, but, you know, but still, you know, art actually being an extension of love and actually an extension of the mass potential um, definitely. I, I would always put my, I'd always put my money on the people, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Um, can we go back? Cause I think this is related. Uh, you said around 2009 or so, and you're like, you're like, I'm out of the nine to five. What happened next? Well, actually, so not the, the, the nine to five started in 09. Oh, sorry. Chapter, and then so 2012, you know, it, it, what what really broke the the camel's back was so so when I first started, I was given this like complete autonomy of uh, of curriculum, and mm-hmm. within this little school, it was like do what you want. There wasn't a lot to lose. There was only like you know six seven kids showing up every day, and they were doing these independent study packets. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I don't know if you want that story, but it was ridiculous. If um, you if you want to tell it, 
Well, so so basically, um, uh, I don't know how long ago or what or how or how far away the galaxy was, but some people said, okay, for single parents who want to go back and get their high school degrees, we can we can create these independent study packets, and so basically, it's like a packet that's supposed to simulate a class, and it's for people who are literally either at work or or at home with kids mm -hmm. like you they can't go to a school right so you give them this independent study packet and they can fill it out in the evening mm -hmm. and for every packet they get uh get complete it's like it's worth a credit or two okay so you just do all of these packets and then you and you, and you get a high school diploma all right what happened jail schools uh uh took them and started giving them to people who were in solitary confinement. Mm -hmm. Once that happened, and, and I don't know exactly how the money worked, I'm assuming funding was per people you had on the packet. Mm -hmm. But some of these places, they decided that, well, they can do community partnerships and then give the, facilitate packets in places like, you know, truancy programs or you know, I think their, their packets were being uh, distributed in some kind of like halfway houses and, and, stu and stuff like that. So here are these kids that are coming in from, you know, who are coming from a position of absolute powerlessness. Right. Um, and they're like, okay, they're getting, trying to get back in the swing. And instead of giving them, actually teaching them, they're giving them packets. Right. It's very... Uh... Would you it's call it? it's it's lazy and shady? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's irrespons yeah. irresponsible. Yeah, it's 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 a violation of human rights, my friend. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So 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 it, here I come, and I, I told them like, okay, I'm I'm I'll take this class, but I'm not going to teach these packets. Right. I'm going to do real class. Mm -hmm. And it was like, yeah, fine, do what you want. Okay, so over the years, it, it, it actually got really, really groovy in there. And it grew, and we were getting like kid recommendations. People would just bring their cousins to the school. Like my cousin, he hasn't been to school in a long time. Can he attend? And it was, you know, and we got up to a roster of about 40, 50, oh, you know, wow. maybe even 60 kids. We had to add a whole nother session, you know, like, you know, it was expanding. And once, once it expanded, what did the administration say? Can you can you put the packets in? Can you uh -oh. put the packets back in the game? Man. You know, and so that's so that, and that that's when I was like, okay, you know, like you know the concept of alienation of labor, right? Mm -hmm. So that, that basically the idea is, as a worker, what you sell, the commodity you have, is your labor. Okay, that's what a job is. You are selling your labor to to a capitalist, right? Right. Now, what happens though is that labor, once you give it to the capitalists, they do what they want. And it's in their interest actually to pay you as little as possible. Right. And keep us and keep us and therefore keep a system going in which you are really coerced to stay in this cycle, right? And dependent on it, yeah. Exactly. So the thing is that now you've sold your labor one, but then your labor becomes two, your labor becomes alien to you. Mm. and actually becomes enemy to you mm. because you're serving it the labor goes into building up an interest that is against your own right it's not That's yours the labor right 
So now, now this was this term was applied to cats, you know, working. This was in, invented when when investigating like cats that were working in factories, you know, mm -hmm. like manual labor, blue collar type of shit, right? Mm -hmm. So, but but now, if you it, it, what what I kind of like and probably didn't innovate this understanding. I'm sure people have talk, talked about this, but it the the petty bourgeois also suffered from. From, from alienation of liberty and that all of my, you know, all of what I've done still belongs to this institution that will turn around and take this power I've given them and basically mess over all of our lives. Yeah. Know? Put put the kids back on the packets and and have and, and basically almost in a way not to be dramatic, dehumanize me literally in reducing me to a packet proctor. Right. You know, now I have, how much of my mind do I have to turn off in order to facilitate packets? And then again. From their point of view, if you have the packets, you don't even need a teacher. Exactly. Exactly. And Automation. It's, it's the same had, idea. Right. And so it's right. Exactly. So it's auto, auto, automotive, <laughs> automotive kids, automotive teachers. And, it, it, and so I, I, that's, that's when I came to the conclusion that there's only so much that you can do from within the system. And then also, you know, education is, is, is really, is, is really just flows from love, right? Mm -hmm. How much love can I actually have for you? And I, and I did some work in the Oakland juvenile hall and it, and it, this really like, I, sometimes I, I'd actually um, be in tears leaving, a, leaving the Oakland juvenile hall because it's like, how much love can I have? If I allow the rest, allow you to be messed over for the rest of the day, or allow you to go back to to conditions that that uh, that are inhumane, right? You know, and so I'm like, well, okay, well, I have to do something about the other 22 hours in the day, and that's right. and that's where that's why I enter the uh, movement process. That's the angle I, I, I that that's what pushed me um, into that work. So um, I actually, you know, I didn't know exactly what to do, but there were some people getting down in Jackson, Mississippi, who I had certain connections to. And so I went down, I went down there for a couple of years and, um, and, and did some movement work down there and then came back uh, in 2015. Okay. And I've been, and I've been back ever since. So um, what, what have you been doing the last was he said 15 five uh, five years in sf so five you know I, i'll be damned if the uh poetry did not um uh, did not kind of take off and it and it was it was it was trippy um so so a kind of a more disciplined writing practice began for me in mississippi um almost uh, you know just uh, if i'm honest just from a, a lack of uh a lack of shit to do <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so um, you know, uh, uh, I started putting the timer on, man, and it was actually based on a conversation that my brother had with Walter Mosley. My brother is a, a is an actor, and you know, Walter Mosley, the Catalyst. I know that name. Uh, uh, Devil in a Blue Dress. It was made into a movie. Okay. He writes these kind of like detective mysteries, but they're 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 beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and so he wrote a play. And uh, my my brother was in it, but you know, so it's his, you know, it's 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 more of a thing. Mm -hmm. Well, Mosley is, you know, uh, a coming, 
you know, right, is, is, is in the right place. So he was there and more hands-on, and he would have conversations with my brother. And my brother was telling him about uh, Poetry Month, April, where you're supposed to write a poem a day, right? All right. And, and Walter Mosley was just like, a poem a day? Nah, man, if you're going to be a writer, you got to write hours a day. That's how this <laughs> thing works. Mm -hmm. so I kind of secondhand took that and just started putting a timer on. And got to like a really uh, groovy place, started writing some poems that just, it, it was kind of like a new species of poem. It, it really started, it really kind of blew my mind. Um, but I still, you know, that, that still wasn't kind of like my central identity. So I get back to, um, I get back to the Bay and a, a friend of mine, this cat named Derek Fenner, who I actually met um, and, and worked with or worked under in the, in, in one of these Oakland Juvenile Hall uh, programs. He got me a job uh, teaching creative writing at one of these what they call gateway programs where, you know, it's, a, it's, it's basically the premise is you have kids that, that, that dropped out or, or stopped going to high school for whatever reason, but now they're only 19 or right. 20. And so you can't put them back with when they want to, you know, get back with their education you can't put them back with kids. 17-year-olds. But you also, right, you also don't want to put them with, you know, with 50-year-olds either. Right. So what do you do? You have a community college house kind of like a continuation school for them and then transition them into the community college system once they Plus finish their, their, their credits. So I was teaching creative writing at one of those, and, and I was just kind of, I'm not gonna say bored, but I was partially bored um, uh, it, it, with just, you know, this whole time I kept things separate. I always felt like teaching was a craft in itself that had to be respected. Mm -hmm. And so when I was in a place, when I was in an institution or a program or whatever, I, I would just keep it on that. But this time around, I wanted to, you know, I started just busting poems, you know. Right. I had these movie poems, I just started saying them, you know. And probably throwing my weight around a little bit, like, you know, let them know, no, you being taught by, it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, great, you're the real unknown, deal. Mark. Unknown, but still great, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, so come to find out, so so it, it, it was uh, this kid had come up. It was a groovy kid, one of these, like, really, like, really just too smart. Um, you know, like, almost like the cliche, like, so so smart, he's mischievous, and therefore ends up in, these kind, in this kind of trouble. But Too smart really, for school. Right, too smart for school, but he's right. literally too smart. Like, that's, yeah. that's all that's really going on. So yeah, he yeah. comes up to me. Actually, I wasn't even teaching him at the time. He's just like, "Oh, I heard, I heard you actually, you actually got good poems." Mm -hmm. And I said, "Yes, I do. Would you like to hear <laughs> one?" And uh, and and Derek was standing there, kind of overheard it, and was like, "I got a small press. Do you want to do you want to do a book?" And so you know, I was like, "For sure." The thing about this kind of like more literary poetry is. You don't really know where it is, you know. Like when it comes to like, like as opposed to like a kind of a slam scene, right? Where you know, or, or you know, or back in New York, say the New York and Polish Cafe, right? So they have, you know, they have upper echelon events, but then they also have like a night that's just open, right. open mic, you know. Mm -hmm. And so if you like, I want to be a poet, you can go down there and start from scratch and work on your craft and move 
up and move along and all and all of these type of things. But when it comes to like the the literary, the more literary side or so-called literary, what, what, what believes is more literary, <laughs> um, it's really behind these kind of closed doors. Yes, you, there are events in kind of like bookstores, bookstore, there are bookstore events that do kind of have like a, a populism to them. But for the most part, like, the, it's so much you would never know where to start. If you would say, I'm going to be a poet, you would never know where to go. Right. And so, but it was through this book with Derek, it got me like two, three gigs behind closed doors. And then it was just like one thing kept uh, leading to another until um, I ended up actually opening uh, for a, a brilliant writer named uh, Shanaka Hodge. Actually, who I, I've known since she was one of the first, like she was one of the first, like the first generation member of the Avengers, you know, like the, oh, shit. Uh, the, the youth speaks, the youth speaks poets, you know, when they had kids and they would, they, you know, they'd take them around the world because they were just so good. Right. Um, and so uh, fast forward, she was having a book release with City Lights Books. And uh, she told me that, you know, she told me to open for her. Okay. And so I, I opened for her and the, uh, the the main, the head publisher there um, was just like, whoa, let's, let's, let's do something. Let's talk. And, uh, you know, and it, it, it was some months later. Um, I'm not the best at that type of thing, these type of relationships, but finally she got her hands on the manuscript and she was just like, whoa, I don't know how you did this. Mm. And, and 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 asked me if I wanted to be uh, be in the Pocket Poets series, which is like their flagship. You know, that's what Howl comes out of. That's it's what City Lights. Yeah, you know, that's that's right. what they It's it's kind of like book deal within the book deal. You know, it's like mm. the, a more echelon series, and so you know, the rest was kind of history. Wow, so I've really just been a poet man for like five years. Right on, you right know? on. Our theme on this podcast this year is love letters to the city. If someone asked you, hey, write a love letter to San Francisco, what kind of things would you say? Where for art thou? <laughs> if you have anything you want to read, that would be awesome. Apparently, too much of San Francisco was not there in the first place. Uh, this dream requires more condemned Africans, or put another way, state violence rises down. Or still life is just getting warmed up. Or army life is looking for a new church and ignored all other suggestions. Or folktale writers have not made up their minds as to who is going to be their friends. You, this is the worst downtown yet. And I've borrowed a cigarette everywhere. I've taken many a walk to the back of a bus that led on out the back of a storyteller's prison sentence, then on out the back of slave scars, but this is my comeback phase. I left my watch on the public bathroom sink and took the toilet with me. Threw it at the first bus I saw eating single mothers half alive. It flew through the bus line number, then on out the front of the White House. Hopefully you find comfort downtown, but if not, we brought you enough cigarette filters to make a decent winter coat. A special species, a handshake, lets all know who's king and what's the lifespan of you uniform cloth. This coffin needs to quit acting like those are birds singing. Rusty nails have no wings, have no voice other than that of a white world dying. There are book pages and a gas pump. That catchy, isn't it? The way three nooses is the rule, or the way potato sack masks go so well with radio codes, or the way condemned Africans fought their way back to the ocean only to find waves made in 1920s burnt up piano parts 
European backdoor deals and red flowers for widows who spend all day in the sun mumbling in San Francisco. They're red flowers, but what's the color of a doctor visit? There are book titles in the streets. Book titles like Hero, You'd Make a Better Zero, or Hey Fur Coat Lady, The President is Dead, or Pay Me Back in Children, or They Hung Up Their Bodies in Their Own Museums, and other book titles pulled from a drum solo. Run here, Hero. Lied the hiding place, all the bullets in 10 precincts know where to go. There's no heaven nor any other good idea in the sky. Politics means that people did it, people do it. Understand that when in San Francisco and other places that were never really there. I bet this ocean thinks it's an ocean, but it's not. It's a sixth emission street. I don't know who's king, king of thin things. You know, like America, I'm proud to deserve to die. I'm going to eat my dinner extra slow tonight in this police state candy dispenser you all call a neighborhood. No set of manners goes unpunished. Never mind a murderer's insomnia or the tea kettle preparing everyone for police silence. You know, I, I just want to say that, uh, you know, San Francisco's fate is tied to the people. And it's and tied to the revolutionary potentials uh, of the people in the, in the, you know, the kinetic energy or the energy made kinetic by people. And so, you know, that that's, that's where I look for the transformation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can never, you can never go home again. You know, and in a way, we don't, you know, we don't need to. You know, what what San Francisco was is a groovy, has you know, is groovy enough ingredients to a um, to a day to a to a greater um, a, a day beyond imperialism, mm -hmm. if if I, if I may be so bold. So, you know, I just, you know, for everybody, I would just look to look towards, you know, whatever process you're in the middle of, making sure it's, it's nice and. I say revolutionary. Uh, other, otherwise, they, they're just gonna ride this all off into oblivion, you know. And you know, I mean, like literally, we we're really gonna be crying for San Francisco when it's underwater. <laughs> yeah, literally and literally. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's like man, we can't, you know. We we we. we I would love to be a groovy poet on the sideline, you know. And, and San Francisco is full of these these kind of like just groovy, you know, just pound for pound, just interesting protagonists, you know. Right but 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 man, we got to do the together thing. We got to do the collective thing. That was Tongo Eisen Martin. On the next episode of Storied San Francisco, you'll get to know the founder of Rocket Dog Rescue, Haley Boucher. Please join us next week for episode 30. Music for Storied San Francisco is by Otis McDonald. Photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. The show is hosted and produced by me. Michelle and I have produced more than 120 episodes over the last three years, and you can find them all over at our website, storiedsf.com. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as just about everywhere you can listen to podcasts please subscribe to stay up to date on all the content we publish. And if you have any feedback for us, or you just want to say hi, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay strong, stay safe, and stay healthy.